So we finally come to the end of Hebrews chapter 11. And the theme for this morning's message is a faith worth following. A faith worth following. That's Hebrews 11 verse 29 to 40. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we do pray that you would cut to the core of our being, that you would cut to the heart, and that you would show us also what needs to change in our lives, and that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit to change, to make those changes, and to live obediently, and to yield to the guidance of the Spirit in the Word of God. We pray that the Word would come with power and that we would be forever changed on hearing Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29 to 40. In Jesus' name, Amen. So my pastor, when I was a child, he would often quote from church history in his sermons. He would quote, quote from the lives of great men and women of the faith and tell stories about their lives. And that really what it did it is it helped people to, to see a life of faith. So it became visible, it became tangible, it became real. So it was an example you could see portrayed and shown before your eyes as if to say this is an example to follow it, like the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's also why we have the stories of the Old Testament. Romans 15 verse 4 tells us that those, were thing, uh, those things or those, uh, the history of the Old Testament was written as an example to us, uh, as an example for us to follow. 1 Corinthians 10 11 also as an example to us. Hebrews 6 verse 12 speaks of being imitators of these people. Hebrews 13 verse 7, speaking of Christian leaders who have died and telling us to consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. And that's, that's exactly the point of Hebrews 11 verse 29 to 40. <clears throat> so, first of all, we're going to look at a miracle working faith or supernatural faith in verse 29. We read, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea on, as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the, the same, were drowned. So this supernatural faith or miracle-working faith, uh, you find it in the history even of the Africana. For instance, the fur trackers in, on 16 December 1838 at the Battle of Blood River, where about 450 of them, a bit more, to, I think it was 464, Foot trackers, they, they prayed to God and they said, Please, Lord, would you protect us against the enemy? There were 10,000 Zulus. And then, as we know, of the 10,000 Zulus, 3,000 were killed, <clears throat> and only three foot trackers were very lightly wounded. Now, it's not a race issue, this. It's simply saying that these uh, foot trackers, they prayed to the Lord, they trusted God, and it was a miracle working faith, it was a supernatural thing. And the, God, and the Lord answered their prayer. The Lord heard them. And we find the same in Israel's history as we just saw in verse 29. And that's taken from the book of Exodus. You remember the Israelites as they came out of Egypt and they were trapped. 
they were trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptians and the desert or the wilderness and then the mountains. There was nowhere to go. They had no way of escape. And <clears throat> Moses called to the Lord and the Lord said, go forward. Why are you crying to me? Move forward. I'm going to open the Red Sea. And God did that. And the Israelites trusted that he would keep these walls of water. He would keep it standing until they had passed through the sea. And he did indeed do so. And they passed through the sea and they came out safely on the other side. And then the Egyptians, they just presumed. It's presumptuous. They just presumed that, that the sea would remain open for them also. So they rushed into the Red Sea. Um, and the waters, these walls of water just crashed upon them. And they all drowned. And that's what we see in the second part of verse 29. The Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So presumption is a terrible thing. You find it, for instance, in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 11 to 16. So these seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, they thought they could exorcise demons. They could cast out demons in the name of Jesus simply because Paul did so. And they, they thought that was just presumption. They thought, oh, we can do the same. Just use the name of Jesus as a magic enchantment, as a magic word, as a magic phrase. And obviously it didn't happen. This demon-possessed guy overpowered them and beat them up. <clears throat> and so the same for us. We cannot presume. Don't presume the Lord will help you and do things for you uh, simply because you think he's going to do that. And God hasn't commanded you to do such or such, but now you do it and then you presume God's going to help me. For instance, when Satan said to Jesus in Matthew 4, jump off the pinnacle of the temple and God will send his angels to protect you. That would be presumptuous. Doing something that God had not commanded the Messiah, his son, to do, and then expecting God's going to intervene. It reminds me of a, a story I heard, a real story. <clears throat> Many years ago, a man in our church told the story of a missionary that went to some Middle Eastern country. I think it might have been Yemen. And when he got there, now his church has, hadn't sent him. They didn't recognize his calling. He just said that the Lord had called him. And when he got there, they said, where's your support? Who's going to support you? And he said, well, I have no support. I'm just going to live by faith. And they said, well, sorry, you need to return to your home country. And you might say, well, where's the poor guy going to get money to get a plane ticket now to just return? Well, if he's willing to live by faith, why not trust the Lord? God will provide. You see, that wasn't faith at all. It was presumptuous. And we can't think, oh, because God has done something for other people, he's going to do it in the same way for us and provide in the same way. You can only do what that man thought he could do. You could only do such a thing if God had specifically called you to the mission field and if your calling is in line with his word and if your calling is also acknowledged by your church, by other believers, by mature believers. And if you don't have those things, well, then it's your decision. And you've, you've already made the decision. It's like you just want God's stamp of approval on it. And that's not faith. That is presumption. But if God, if God has promised something, then you can believe. I know that the Lord will come through for me. Even if at this moment in your life you're going through the hardest crisis you have ever faced. Like the Israelites did in verse 29 trapped and these Egyptians are coming for them and there's no way out and then God will make a way. 
So for instance, I'm going to take the example of a financial crisis. I think it's very fitting in this time of the economy and lockdown and coronavirus. So you're in, in really you're in financial straits, you're in great difficulty, and you can trust God's promises. If you're a Christian, you can trust his promises. If you seek first the kingdom of God, God will provide what you need. God does not say he's going to provide luxury, but he does say he's going to provide what you need. God promises that. And you honor God with your finances, and the Lord says in Proverbs 3, he will even make your bonds overflow and your wine vats. Hebrews 13, verse 5, he speaks in the context of money, saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you can trust the promise that if you call on God's name, you call upon him. Um, like it says in Psalm 50, call on me in the day of trouble. I will help you and you will glorify me. All right, so that's the supernatural faith or the miracle working faith. Second one is persevering faith. Persevering faith. And that's in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Douglas Kelly, in his book, If God Already Knows, Why Pray? He says in that book, he speaks of a woman that he knows, and she's probably not alive anymore. The book was published uh, many years ago, more than 20 years ago. But he says in the book, he speaks of this woman, she had prayed for her friend, who was also a bridesmaid at the wedding, she had prayed for that friend for 53 years, praying that God would save that young woman. And after 53 years, the Lord answered her prayer and saved her friend. So that's a persevering faith. <clears throat> and we see the same in verse 30. So the Israelites, in, in the book of Joshua, you see that they come to the promised land, and the very first city that they're going to conquer is the city of Jericho. And God tells them, I want you to, to march around the city for seven days. Once every day, and on the seventh day, you march around it seven times. And so they do so. And as they march on day one, the walls of the city, well, it doesn't crumble. And then in the second day, and not even the fifth day, but only on day seven, as God said, you march around it for seven days, the walls will fall flat and I will give the city into your hand. And in the same way, we shouldn't become discouraged when, oh, it's been some days now, it's been some weeks now, it's been some months now that I've, believing this, I've been believing this promise, I've been holding on to this promise, I've been praying about this, it's even been some years. Don't, don't think it's going to happen on day one or day two or day five. Perhaps it might, but sometimes God wants you to continue to persevere. And if you are absolutely certain this is a promise from God, this is a promise in His Word, then you keep on praying until God answers. Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7. You do what Jesus said. That man kept on knocking until his friend opened the door and gave him a loaf of bread. Or like the widow in Luke 18, you keep on asking until the judge hears your case. So where you have a promise from God's Word, you persevere, you persevere. Now, if you have no promise from God's word, then you can still persevere in prayer, but you need to pray as Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then also learn that even a very simple thing like faith, a very simple action like trusting God and taking Him at His promises, you can do great things 
through faith, because God can do great things. The one in whom you believe can do great things. Who would have thought that simply marching around a city for seven days, oh, the, cities, the city walls are going to fall flat and you're going to conquer that city. That just it seems impossible. It seems silly. And yet that's what God said, and they obeyed. And so in the same way, you and I, we can take God at his word and we can trust his promises and keep on praying. And if you do so, you can accomplish the impossible. In Matthew 21, in verse 22, Jesus said the following to his disciples after he had cursed the fig tree and said, never again will fruit come from you. Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Meaning faith in some promise of God that is given in his word. Do you believe that? Well, if you do, show your faith by praying and trusting God and by persevering in prayer. Number three, the third kind of faith is saving faith. Verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. On the way to the Southern Cape, as you come to a little town, I think it's called Derist. Uh, it's close to Oatswaran. But before you come there, you pass through Meiringspoort. It's one of the most beautiful places I've seen in my life. And you know, I try to capture it by taking pictures and you show people it's not the same. You have to be there. You have to experience it for yourself and see it for yourself. And in the same way, I cannot quite explain to you what salvation is. I can give biblical explanations, but I cannot quite explain saving faith. You have to experience it as Rahab did. So in the book of Joshua in chapter 2, you see Rahab, uh, two spies, Israelite spies, they come to the city of Jericho. And Rahab lives in the city. She was a prostitute and she was an idol worshiper. But now Rahab had... She had heard now of the God of Israel. And suddenly she started realizing that her gods are dead. When she heard what the God of Israel had done, how he had opened the Red Sea, how he had destroyed the Egyptians with ten plagues, how he had conquered mighty kings on the other side of the Jordan. And so the people of Jericho are very afraid, but Rahab believes. She's no longer like them. She's no longer disobedient, worshipping idols. She's no longer disobedient, saying, Oh, I've heard about this God, but I won't serve him. No, now she's heard about this God, and she believes in him. She believes he's the true God. And so she repents of her sin, of her prostitution, of her idolatry. And she believes in Yahweh as the true God. And so she hides the spies. When the people of Jericho looks for them, she's not going to deliver them up to her own people. She hides them on the roof of her house. And she truly believes that God has given the land of Canaan. She's a Canaanite. He's given the land of Canaan to Israel. And she believes that. But then she says, please, will you spare me and my family? Will you spare me and my family? We believe in this God. I believe in this God. And I've been kind to you. And they make some kind of contract or covenant. And, and they promise, these spies promise, we will spare you when, we, when God gives us a city. And then God honors her faith. And God does save her. And God does spare her. All right, so the question comes, what is your sin? 
Her sin was prostitution and idolatry and many other sins. What is your sin? Do you believe like she did? Do you believe that God can save you? Do you believe that he is the true God? Do you believe that he can forgive you? Do you believe that he will accept the death of Jesus in your place? Do you believe that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved? Do you believe if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Do you believe that? Well, if you do, then God will change you into a new person. He will save you from judgment. He will save you from the power of sin. He will save you from hell. He will forgive your sins. Even if you've been sinning for decades. Even if your sin is very great. Like Rahab's. He will save you. Fourth kind of faith is triumphant faith. Verse 32 to 35a. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Sometimes we want to almost ignore the supernatural. It's like you want to have smart and clever arguments for why the supernatural cannot be. and As if there's a natural explanation for everything. And we do not realize how strong, how powerful faith is, how powerful our prayers are. Or should I rather say how powerful the God is in whom we believe and to whom we pray. And these heroes of the faith, they realized it. In verse 32, those people, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, they realized that and the rest of Hebrews 11. And that is why the Lord did mighty things and powerful things through them. What did God do through them? Well, verse 33, they conquered kingdoms. So God conquered mighty kings like Sion and like King Og in Numbers 21, giants. Through Joshua, God conquered the kings of Canaan. And then in verse 32, you read of Barak, who was one of the judges in Judges 4, and Jephthah in Judges chapter 11. And God used them to conquer the enemy. And what about our prayers? What about our prayers? God did mighty things through people. For instance, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah prayed to God. And as verse 32 says, conquered kingdoms where he prayed and God conquered the heart of the king and he sent Nehemiah back and he could rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What about us? What about our prayers? Can we not be like Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 where God used the prayers of one man and he guided the direction of the future of the people of Israel through the prayers of Daniel. A man standing in the gap. Nations. Kings. God moves them in answer to the prayers of his people. 
By faith they conquered kingdoms. Can we not pray the promises of God? Lord, you have promised that your son should ask and you would give kingdoms. You would give nations as, in, in, as his inheritance. The nations would bow to him in worship. We do not see that happening. Can we not pray that that would happen? Can we not pray, let your kingdom come? Can we not pray for governors, for politicians, for kings, that God would move their hearts so that we can live in peace and quiet and live godly lives with any, without any fear of persecution? And then we also see in verse 33, they enforced justice by faith. They enforced justice. Kings like Solomon enforced justice. Kings like Josiah enforced justice. So there was peace and there was reformation under their rule. Verse 33, they obtained promises. Joshua obtained the promise. God had promised he would give the land to Israel and he did. Daniel knew that God had promised Israel would be in captivity for 70 years and then he prayed. He said, Lord, you said only 70 years. This is the 70th year, Lord. Answer our prayer. God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. A covenant. One of his sons would sit as king and reign forever. And build God's house. And that king came. David believed. <clears throat> Verse 33. They stopped the mouths of lions. The first one you think of, obviously, is Daniel. He believed that God could protect him, and God did. God sent the angel to shut the mouths of the lions. But we don't often remember Samson. God gave him power. He trusted God for strength and David, and they killed lions. <clears throat> Verse 34, they quenched the power of fire, thinking of Daniel's three friends in Daniel chapter 3. They believe that God, if he wants to, he can save them. And he did. The fire did not burn them. Their hair was not singed. Their clothes didn't even smell of smoke. Verse 34, they escaped the edge of the sword by faith. Thinking of David when he fleed from King Saul. And God didn't deliver David up into the hands of Saul. He escaped the edge of the sword. Elijah in 1 Kings 19, he escaped the edge of the sword when... When Jezebel wanted to kill him. Elisha escaped the edge of the sword in 2 Kings chapter 6 from the Syrian army and in chapter 7 from the king of Israel. Verse 34, they were made strong out of weakness. So God uses weak people to do mighty things. He uses a, a young boy, a teenager, to slay a giant. He uses a man called Samson. At the end of his life, his hair, hair is shorn off, his hair is cut off. It's shaved, shaven off, and Samson is weak. And Samson prays for strength once more so he can kill the Philistines. And God gives him the strength. So out of weakness, he is made strong. And he kills more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. More than 3,000 in one day. So do you feel helpless? Do you feel weak? Do you feel hopeless? Well, take heart. Remember verse 34. By faith you too can be made strong out of weakness. God can use your weakness and do mighty things through you. And mighty things in you. And why does he do it that way? 
Well, the Apostle Paul says, when we are weak, then we are strong. God's power is made perfect in weakness. And God does it in this way so that you will not boast in yourself but in him. Let not the wise man boast in his riches or, or the wise man in his wisdom, the rich man in his riches, the strong man in his strength. But we boast in the Lord. Verse 34. They became mighty in war. So here you have David's mighty men. And the top three, you'll read of them in 2 Samuel 23, verse 8 to 12, where God used these mighty men, and he used them in, in several instances where an individual kills, an whole, kills a whole army, kills 800 men, one man with a spear, or one man killing 300 men, or where they kill giants in 2 Samuel 21. So they became mighty in war. And then in verse 34, they put foreign armies to flight, thinking of Gideon with his 300, and they armed with clay pots and with torches. That's it. And God uses Gideon and his 300, and they put a foreign army, ten thousands, tens of thousands of Midianites to flight. Well, thinking of David as the moment he chopped off Goliath's head, first he kills him with a stone, and then he decapitates him. And the moment that happens, you see the Philistines running like girls. <laughs> or think of King Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20. They have no chance against these foreign armies. And what do they do? They call to the Lord. And the Lord gives them comfort and says, do not worry. I, you will not even have to fight this battle. And what they do is they start praising the Lord. And then the, enemies, the enemy starts killing each other. They put foreign armies to flight. And so you, you, you perhaps are in a position at this moment where it feels like the devil is pounding you like one wave upon another and you have no rest and the temptations keep on coming. Well, verse 34, if you have faith, you can put foreign armies to flight. So by faith, by trusting in the Lord, by submitting to God, the enemy will flee from you. Resist and believe. Verse 35a, women received back their dead by resurrection. So we have the examples of, in the Old Testament, Elijah raising a woman's son from the dead, a widow's son, and Elisha raising a woman's son from the dead. And, and it's not speaking about, in verse 35, uh, the faith of the woman, but the faith of the prophets. And so the lesson for us is we need to look further. We need to look beyond the visible. We need to see the invisible, the invisible God. And his promises by faith, we need to see them. As we read in verse 1, many weeks ago, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We must believe God can do the impossible. What is possible, impossible with man is possible with God. He can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. And so, yes, we look at these heroes of the faith, and yes, their faith was not perfect. They had many sin in their lives, and yet they pleased God because they did not trust themselves. They trusted in God. They trusted in God for the outcome. They trusted in God for wisdom. They trusted in God for his power. And so the question is not how smart you are, how educated you are, how strong you are, how rich you are how much life experience you have. The question is, do 
you have faith? Do you trust in God like these heroes of the faith? And if so, God will do mighty things through you. Fifth kind of faith is unshakable faith. Verse 35b to 38. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now, perhaps you don't have the, the verse 32 to 35a kind of faith, that, that uh, the faith of heroes. And you do mighty things through your faith. Or God does mighty things through you. Perhaps you don't have that. And I want to say to you, do not fear. Do not fear. As long as your faith is unshakable, unshakable as the faith of Polycarp in the early church, where Polycarp was a martyr for Christ or perpetua, a woman who was a martyr for Christ. And, and these two saints, these two Christians, they simply refused to deny Christ in the face of persecution, even though they were martyred to death. And that's how these believers are in verse 35b to 38. They chose rather to be persecuted than deny Christ. So what, what was the persecution? Well, it says in verse 35b, they were tortured. Now, the Greek word there literally means being beaten to death. They were beaten to death. Uh, for instance, you've got a man called Eleazar in the time of the Maccabees. That's the time between the Old and the New Testament of these uh, Jewish people, the people of Israel. And now we don't believe that those books, the Maccabean books, Maccabees, that it's inspired and that it's part of the Word of God. It's not. But, but it is part of, the Jewish, of Jewish history. And so you've got this guy, Eleazar, and he simply refused to deny God. And he was beaten to death. And he knew, and other believers like him, they knew they would rise again to a better life. Verse 35b, yes, the Old Testament saints, they did believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they did know about it. They knew that we would be raised to a better life one day. Our bodies will return from the dust. Daniel 12, 2, Isaiah 25, 8, Isaiah 26, verse 19, and even Paul saying that I believe in the resurrection just like our fathers have for, for centuries. We've been waiting and hoping for the resurrection. And then also we see in verse 36b, or the 36 at least, others suffered mocking. Mocking. They were mocked. Uh, Elisha was mocked by a bunch of teenage boys in 2 Kings 2. Isaiah was mocked in Isaiah 28 by a bunch of false prophets. Jeremiah was mocked in Jeremiah 5. Ezekiel was mocked. They wouldn't listen to his words. Oh, he's a maker of parables. He just tells stories. Ezekiel 20:49. All the prophets were mocked. 2 Chronicles 36:13. And then in verse 36 we also read of flogging. Uh, the Greek word here mean, uh, it implies um, metal pieces of metal being twisted into reams and strips of leather and you're beaten with that so they were flogged also in the time of the Maccabees we read of a, a mother with her seven sons who were flogged to death and they didn't deny God 
And then chains and imprisonment, verse 36. Uh, you have the example of Joseph. He was, put in, he was put in chains as a slave. And then he was put in prison later on. Or prophets like Micah in 1 Kings 22 and Hananiah, or Hanani at, re, uh, at least. Uh, I don't know if that's a cor correct English pronunciation. That's Afrikaans. Uh, in, under King Asa in 2 Chronicles 16. And Jeremiah, uh, many times. Jeremiah thrown into prison or thrown in the pit. And then being stoned in verse 37, like Naboth. Uh, Naboth who was stoned because of Jezebel the queen. And then Zechariah who was stoned under King Joash in Second Chronicles 24. People sawn in two, verse 37. So this is just history. It's, it's not somewhere in the Bible you don't find this. But according to history, the evil king Manasseh had sawn Isaiah in two. And then uh, some translations add here, yeah, some manuscripts, uh, they were tempted. Now, it's not in all the manuscripts, but, but that could well be. And we know it's true that the prophets were tempted to deny God, and they did not. They, they resisted the temptation. <clears throat> and then being killed with a sword, verse 37. So prophets, the prophets were killed with a sword by Jezebel in 1 Kings 18, verse 4, 19, verse 10, and 14. And then Uriah, the prophet, he was killed by uh, Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 26. He pursued him to Egypt and brought him back from there and killed him with a sword because he had prophesied against Jerusalem. And then John the Baptist, he was killed with a sword by Herod under the command of Herod. He was decapitated. And then they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, verse 37. So that's the clothes they have, like Elijah, uh, clothes of skin. 2 King 1 verse 8. And the point is that they, that they were poor. They were poor. And they were really looking forward to wearing the, the festal robes of heaven and to eternal riches. So they didn't deny the Lord because of poverty. And then not having much food, verse 37. We read of them uh, destitute. Destitute. Um, you have the example in... 1 Kings 18 verse 4, these prophets being hidden away from the evil queen Jezebel. And all they have is food, uh, bread and water. Or Micah when he's put in prison in 1 Kings 22, meager rations of bread and some water. Jeremiah hardly had food under King Zedekiah in Jeremiah 37 21. And then later on no food left. Jeremiah 38 verse 9. And then being mistreated, verse 37, being oppressed. Like the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 86, verse 150, verse 161, he's mistreated by his enemies. Or afflicted at least, and then mistreated in verse 37 at the end. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 18, Jeremiah is mistreated, and all the prophets are mistreated. Matthew 21, 35 and 36, Matthew 23, 35, Acts 7 verse 52 speaks of all the Old Testament prophets. They were mistreated. And then it says that the, of whom the world was not worthy. The world did not appreciate these, these heroes of the faith. And, and so the world does not deserve to have such people among them. And God takes them away as a kind of judgment on this evil world. Saying, you do not appreciate these gifts I give. These people who bring you good news. Reminds me of R.C. Sproul. When James Montgomery Boyce, a great preacher in the United States, when he died, uh, R.C. Sproul said to John MacArthur, 
That man's death is God's judgment on America. Because the world, they did not receive him and appreciate him as God's gift to bring them the truth. And so God took him away. The world is not worthy of them. Verse 38. And then in verse 38 we also read, They wandered about in deserts and mountains, dens and caves of the earth. So they go about as poor pilgrims, living in deserts, living in caves, living in mountains. Like David, before he became king, running away from King Saul. And he hides in caves and he hides in desert, deserted places and lives in the desert. Or Elijah, living in the desert in 1 Kings 17 and even at a stage hiding in a cave when he flees from Jezebel, 1 Kings 19. And then all these prophets under the evil Queen Jezebel, they're hidden in, in caves by fifties, by groups of, in groups of 50. 1 Kings 18 verse 4. John the Baptist living in the desert, Luke 1 verse 18. So I, I personally think that, that Hebrews 11 verse 35b to 38 is one of the best answers you can give to people who say, these prosperity gospel people, oh, you're sick, oh, you poor, you know why you're not prosperous and why you're not healthy? It's because you don't have faith. Well, Hebrews 11 says, because they had, they had faith, they were poor, they suffered, they were mistreated, they were killed. Because they had faith, because they refused, they refused to deny God in the face of poverty and sickness and suffering. The fact that you keep on serving God and do not turn your back on Him, that is proof of your faith, not proof that you have no faith. It's like in the book of Job. He kept on believing despite the fact that he had become poor and sick. Or Habakkuk, at the end of the book, even if there are no grapes on the vines, no sheep in the fold, no cattle, will still praise God. Will your faith stand if you have no more money, no more job, no more work, and you even lose your health, you get the coronavirus, will your faith hold? You know, the fact that you have faith while the sun is shining, it means nothing. The question is, will you still believe if you see the storm clouds gathering. And if so, then your faith is real. You are a true Christian. And then finally, number six. Hopeful faith. Verse 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So during lockdown, lockdown has been for many weeks now, we have seen many people die. A number of people, people from our church or family members, loved ones of our church members. And uh, we saw a missionary couple who lost their baby, who only lived for 18 hours. One of our church members, just over the age of 80, died. A colleague, a fellow pastor across the railway, the other part of town, Birchley Baptist Church, he died. My uncle died a few weeks ago. One of our church members, she lost her sister due to COVID-19. 
Two of our church members lost because of COVID-19, just last Saturday. And then just in this week, one of our members, her brother died. And by God's grace, all of those people I just mentioned, just like these Old Testament saints, God commended them. God commended them. Verse 39, through, though commended through their faith. Verse 1, uh, at least verse 2, we read, people receive their commendation. Verse 4, Abel was commended because of their faith. And all these people, by God's grace, we can say they believed in Christ, they trusted Him as their Savior. Uh, and we know that they are with Him now. They belong to God. We know they are with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Today you will be with me in paradise. The body returns to dust, the spirit returns to God who gave it. Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Paul said, I would rather be out of the body, away from the body, and present with the Lord. And in chapter 12, 23, we read of the spirits of the righteous men, of righteous men made perfect. So, these people too are with the Lord. And so, yes, yes, there, there are tears. There are tears, but there's also joy because we know these people are with the Lord. And in spite of that, in spite of the fact, yes, they commend it through their faith. Yes, they're with the Lord. Verse 39 says, they have not yet received what was promised. What is that? Well, I think, I think it goes back to verse 35b. Um, where it says these people looked forward because they were looking to rise again to a better life. And so these people I've just spoken of and all these Old Testament saints and all the New Testament saints and all the Christians throughout church history have died. Yes, their spirits are with the Lord. Verse 12, their spirits are made perfect, but they have not yet received their new bodies. So we're waiting for the final fulfillment of God's promises when Jesus will return and when the dead will rise again. And when will Jesus will create a finally and fully a new earth. And so yes, yes, Abraham went before the Apostle Paul. Abraham was in heaven first. We saw that last week, Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So Abraham is in heaven, Luke sixteen twenty-two. So Abraham went there before the Apostle Paul, and yet, even though he was in heaven first, his body will not be raised before the Apostle Paul's body. Verse 39. They did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So we will all be raised at the same time. And God will give us glorified bodies when Jesus returns, raises us from the grave, glorifies our body and our perfect spirit is again united to our body and we are forever with the Lord. And so our greatest, the greatest thing that we are looking forward to, our greatest hope is not to go to heaven. Our greatest hope is that Jesus will return because if you're in heaven, you have not yet received your new body. Our greatest hope is for Christ to return and to fulfill this final promise of verse 40 that we should all be made perfect together. And that is what Job looked forward to. Job knew, Job knew that this life of suffering and sickness and sin and pain and death, it is not how it's meant to be. And so he longed for a world where there would be no more sickness and suffering, 
where there would be no more pain and tears and no more death. He looked forward to a world where his body would be raised, he would have a perfect body living in a perfect world. And so in spite of all our suffering also, we are hopeful. We, we believe with Job. Job chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. And this is what we say to the Lord, exactly as Job did in all his suffering and sickness. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Amen. Father, how often have we in these days called to you, not merely for the healing of the sick, and the easing of their wounds, those who have been wounded by the death of loved ones, or the provision in our sufferings, provision financially for those who have lost their jobs. But also we have prayed, our Lord, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.